1: Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson as always I am your good friend and host Steve Robertson on a belated Monday yard and I do apologize for that I was trying to make it through both media sessions today I was on with Tulsa uh, today around 1 the Mississippi State session began around 3 and then ran well after 4 o'clock and so then I spent all the time on the phone I had to get some stuff done around here I got a couple of articles posted over on Gene's page You can go check those out. We're going to talk about some of those today. One of those things was about the weather. Uh, Up until today, the forecast for game day has been for snow early in the day. Now, the forecast has shifted a little bit here in the past 12 hours or so. And now it looks like it's going to be some of that stinging rain, you know, that cold and rainy miserable type atmosphere and of course it's an outdoor game so we're going to have to kind of contend with the elements there I would rather it snow than rain Uh, not to mention we got to drive back uh, on Thursday after the ball game I guess you know we could always get a hotel room again but uh, it's different you know and uh, one of the things I wrote about today is Mississippi State has actually fared pretty well in cold temperatures in the postseason you go back to the 1963 Liberty Bowl where one Bill McGuire blocked a punt early in the ball game. It was picked up by Tommy Eneman and run 11 yards into the end zone. As State raced out to a 16-0 lead over NC State. Uh, the Wolfpack kind of fought back late. Couldn't recover an onside kick. An illegal touching call in the play. State recovers and eventually runs out the clock behind Holgrange, who ran for 94 yards in the ball game. And then many of you remember that freezing night in Memphis. It, oh my gosh, it was brutal. Now, of course, the Liberty Bowl in Philadelphia—back when Liberty Bowl was in Philadelphia, which is what happened in '63—game uh, time temperatures were in the low 20s, and then plummeted uh, under 15 degrees over the course of the ball game. I don't know what the temperature was in Memphis that night that we beat Central Florida, but it was awful. It was absolutely awful. And it seemed like if you ever needed to stand up to kind of stretch your legs a little bit and get the blood circulating, that wind would hit you. And it would just kind of whip around that bowl, the Liberty Bowl. So we've had some good experiences there. And so we haven't had to deal with precipitation very often. When we did, back in 2000, we won the Snow Bowl, 43-41. You guys remember that. It was an overtime game. It's a classic game. A lot of people even forget that it was the Independence Bowl. A lot of people just call it the snowball because that's what it's remembered for. It's a great night for Mississippi State, and you'd say, "Man, you know, the, the arctic temperatures and you know, torrential downpour of uh, snow, and yet 84 points are scored in the ball game. thought saw that coming?" And one of the things that was incorrectly reported, and I think this is probably still incorrect is that Jamar Toombs from Texas A&M is credited with scoring the first player to score three touchdowns in Liberty Bowl. That is incorrect. Dante Walker actually was the first player to do it in the same game. Toombs also scored three touchdowns, but he was the second to do it. You may recall that uh, Desenzo Miller had trouble keeping his footing that night, and it was really a game for north-south runners. You know, Desenzo's a guy that's better in space, kind of making people miss. But both Jamar Toombs and Dante Walker were one-cut runners that really benefited at that night, and uh, we had a huge game. Uh, and we got down 14 a couple times in that ball game. We come back, and so I say all that to say this: is that historically we have done really well uh, in winter bowl games that are outside. And a lot of bowl games we've had over the years have been out west or been in the deep south or in the state of Florida. We haven't had to really deal with weather that is unfamiliar to us. But uh, that could certainly be the case. When we go play in Fort Worth, our first time to ever play in the Armed Forces Bowl. So, I'm all about new experiences, but uh, I hope that the trend continues. I know that the uh, the betting lines came out and Tulsa was uh, a slight favorite. And I know there's a lot of money being put on Mississippi State now. Now that uh, you know Tulsa's a great linebacker, Zavin Collins, has opted out of the bowl game. And since we were together... Collins has also won the Bronco Nagurski Trophy, which is the trophy awarded to the nation's best defensive player. Uh, Pretty nice to have him out of the mix there. I think that's a big thing for Mississippi State. I mean, honestly, I thought we were probably going to win the ball game either way. But the fact that uh, he is not playing makes me feel even better about Mississippi State's chances. There's no way that you lose your best defensive player and get better as a unit. Uh, Collins had 54 tackles and 11 and a half for loss four interceptions and he had a 96 yard interception return for a touchdown against Tulane in overtime uh, in a ball game they won that's the thing about Tulsa too they're a gritty team that finds a way to win if you look at their schedule and we'll do that briefly they have been in every ball game every single game this year they have been in it of course it's an abbreviated schedule for them like it is everybody else But uh, they have not really had a bad showing against anybody. I think they have come out and played exceptionally well and played very competitive football. We're going to be in that same type of ballgame with them, I suspect. Uh, You know, kind of looking back here over the course of the schedule before we move on. And they are the golden hurricane. There is no plural there. It's not hurricanes. It's hurricane, no S. They open the season in Stillwater. They lose a very competitive ball game to an Oklahoma State team, uh, 16-7. to Now, this is not a great Oklahoma State team, but still, anytime you go on the road there and you play a power five uh, opponent to within, you know, a score late, you've done a really good job there, 16-7. to So, again, offensively not very good. They didn't play the game at Arkansas State. They did go down there and beat Central Florida and Orlando, 34-26. to They blew out South Florida who hasn't been very good. They beat East Carolina 34-30. They beat SMU 28-24. And then in Tulane, 30-24 winners uh, in double overtime. They uh, they didn't play against Houston, which would have been a very interesting matchup. They beat Navy 19-6. And then they uh, they lose to Cincinnati 27-24. You know the Cincinnati team has uh, you know had a great year this year. So again, they have not been in a ball game that they have uh, lost that hadn't been competitive. They had a couple of blowout wins, uh, I guess, really one blowout win. But they, uh, you know, they have not been a team that uh, has had many downs where they were not competitive. So we we should expect a great effort from them on Thursday. Speaking of great efforts, you'll always get one at Bulldog Burger Company, two locations, now to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark, Vegas. And on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. In fact, if you're not ready to brave the elements of the Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Worth this week, whether it be rain or snow or sleet or whatever, let me encourage you: go to Bulldog Burger Company. You can have an early lunch. You can have a good time, and you can go ahead and watch the ball game with other college football fans. Matter of fact, why not just take a day off? Many of you are going to be off on New Year's Day anyway. Go ahead and get the party started earlier right there at Bulldog Burger Company where you can have a very substantial portion. You can have a great restaurant-quality hamburger and have an adult beverage. And you know what? I, I think the uh, even though that I am not one that participates in the consumption of alcoholic beverages, even though the kickoff is at 11, I think you can get a pass on the whole drinking before 11 thing uh, because there's a bowl game. So I think that's okay. Just drink responsibly. Bulldog Burger Company, one of the great restaurants, is part of a great family of restaurants that have served the Golden Triangle many, many years. You can't go wrong by going by there. Let me encourage you to do so. Always have the spring rolls. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people in Starkville and Tupelo go to meet. M-E-A-T. So on yesterday, Mike Leach met with the media, went ahead and got his, um, you know, his press conference for the week. Kind of handled, and uh, we got a chance to meet with him and kind of talk with him about a few things. One of the things that I asked him about is, "What do you do with, uh, you know, with weather?" I mean, this is a guy obviously that uh, is used to snow. Guy that grew up in Cody, Wyoming, and then eventually became the head coach at Washington State. I looked it up myself because I wanted to include it in the article. Pullman, Washington, averages forty-two inches of snow a year put that in perspective the national average is 28 so nearly nearly double I guess you know but you, you understand my point that they have kind of had to go through all this and kind of figure this thing out so it's not something that uh, your coaching staff would be unfamiliar with should that present itself as Leet says though you know you just got to go relax and catch a football you know those are the things that are funny to me is you just go relax and catch a football and you got to get things going from there and uh so here's his exact answer as we jump in here uh you know i think it's funny you know when you begin to think about us having to deal with snow and and that's what makes a snowball such a novelty is because of the fact that uh you know we're just not familiar with that stuff but it's not it's kind of old hat for leach and he says you know you just relax the guys are all wearing gloves anyways I haven't found it to be a big deal. You just go out there and do it. The NFL does it all the time. Anytime our guys want to complain about cold weather, I just remind them what the weather is in Buffalo and Green Bay and Chicago, Minnesota, New England, the Jets, the Giants, the list goes on and on. Denver, Kansas City, Seattle, we can go on and on. You keep them warm with the warmers, you just got to relax and catch it. You know, it is a bigger deal for us. Because we don't get snow, I mean, I mean, if if there are ever snow flurries anywhere in North Mississippi, it's on Twitter within moments. Because it is such a novel thing for us, and we're not having to go out there and play a football game in it. But um, I do think it's interesting talking to some of our Washington State colleagues. They have shared too that uh, you know the the snow has not really been an issue for them. The rain sometimes has been, and that's what we'll have this week. I mean, we're going to deal with some precipitation of some kind uh, this week. Hopefully, hopefully the weather will clear up between now and Thursday. I'd love to be able to get a dry competitive game uh, on a dry track and we'll kind of see how things go. I do believe more times than not that wetter games favor teams that can run the football. I think it's, there's so many moving parts in the passing game mechanism. You've got to get the snap back. You've got to get the hold up. Uh, you know, the quarterback's got to get the ball up and, and, and deliver a good pass, and you've got to catch it. You know, running, the running game, you get a snap back, you hand it off. You know, it's, it's a much more high percentage play for success. Now, we ran the ball pretty exceptionally well against Missouri. My hope is that's kind of, a, you, know, a, you know, an evidence of things to come. It's an adjustment that we've made, and I think that Jaquavius Marks, and Dylan Johnson kind of showed Mike Leach is, you know what, coach, we can be real factors in this offense you know, beyond just being pass receivers out of the backfield. So I think they kind of made a statement of sorts. I also think that Mike Leach probably saw, you know what, on film that you know, Missouri responded negatively to certain things in the run game, and so we were able to exploit that. Now, what does that mean for Tulsa? You know, Tulsa, of course, is without their leader – their best player on either side of the football, and so they're going to put some other people out there. They're going to have people kind of moving around. People are probably going to be keyed up a little bit, trying to do a little bit too much. Can you catch them on the counter as they begin to over-pursue? Those are questions that I guess we'll find out on Thursday. And so I'm eager to see how we attack them, knowing that they're going to be without their best player. I know you do what you do, but when you see people on film, I mean, there's a reason – did, you know, there's a reason that guy won the Bronco Nagurski Award. That's just kind of the reality of life. And then you remove that guy, the nation's best defender, uh, from a defense that has been decent at times, but has been very competitive. Somebody's got to step up and fill the gap. Somebody's got to step into the gap there and make a play. And can you use that inexperience, and can you you know kind of exploit that lack of leadership – Because you know how it is late in ball games. I mean, there are some people that end up spectating the game rather than playing the game, and you you take a guy like him that is used to making plays behind the line of scrimmage. Well, who steps up and does that now? If they had somebody capable of doing it, they would have already been playing. And so it is a very significant situation. There are a lot of opt-outs happening around the country, as you guys are well aware. Fortunately, we haven't had any more Mississippi State, and you would think we would have had them, uh here in the last couple of days. I know Devin Robinson entered the portal, but uh he has played in one game in his two years at Mississippi State. Uh he was not going to play here. Wish him the absolute best, but that's not a significant loss. I don't think you can compare that at all to what's happened at the University of Florida and other places. Mississippi State obviously has uh has worked hard this year to uh to kind of make sure that Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's euf Let me tell you a little bit about this new video Smart Lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you've got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members and you can see who's kind of coming and going. Got that immigrated camera too. Uh, It's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools, no drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. Get fingerprint recognition. ufi video lock that's e-u-f-y official.com forward slash video lock and it's time for you to gain control of your door again that's ufi eufy. e-u-f-y you know they've got a roster that's capable of going out winning some football games uh, i think it's important to kind of get those things together and get excited about that because Mike Leach says that we're in better shape from a roster standpoint than we've been in six weeks or so. In fact, Leach was asked about that on Sunday. And his answer was very reassuring. It's not a big surprise, but uh, it's one of those things you look at and you begin to wonder okay, you know, we took, you know, what, 49, 45, 43 players, whatever it is, um, you know, I mean, and played some football games. And you begin to ask yourself okay, well, well do we get anybody back? Because we've heard about it some, you know, this guy's been injured and this guy's had some issues, whatever. Um, you know, Leach says that, uh, you know, that they've already tested once this week. They're supposed to test today, and there'll be a third test before everybody gets on the plane to, uh, you know, to head up to Fort Worth. Uh, that's, I think that's important. I think it's one of those things you look at, too, is that if you clear that first test, and Missouri did not, you clear that first test, you pretty much think you got it licked. Because you know, we're just getting back from the Christmas break. Leach did let the guys go home. And for many of those guys, they hadn't been home you know, since June or so. And so they get a chance to go back, and then hopefully they've been careful and they come back and they're ready to go and you don't have to deal with um, with losing any guys that uh, perhaps you're counting on. And at this point, with our limited uh, you know roster, we're counting on everything. We're counting on absolutely everybody to come in and be able to play. Uh, and that, those are the things that I begin to think about as we get this deep into the season. There were a lot of people that felt like we would never get to the bowl season there were a lot of people invested in being right and if that meant that college football didn't get played I think that was fine with some of them but there were a lot of people early on that said hey are there going to be bowl games and people were like oh we're just trying to get a game played yeah, I was told even back in the summer months you know these bowls really want to play a game they didn't care who came they didn't care what the circumstances were they wanted to have a bowl game because those bowl, those bowl people make their money off tv revenue. They make their money off sponsorships. Yes, they make some money off ticket sales, but let's be honest, that's a very small piece of the pie. These people wanted to be able to broadcast the game on TV to be able to sell the rights to their game for the highest amount of money possible. And so, yes, people wanted to play ball games. And, yes, there are some that have had to be canceled. There, are, Yes, there are some that decided, you know what, we, we, we just can't pull it together this year. But here we are at the finish line. And that's one thing. things on a Tulsa press conference today that one reporter kind of kept mentioning to the players and the coaches. Like, you know, when you look back at the fact that when he started the season, did you ever think you'd get to this point where the finish line is in sight? I think if you look at Mississippi State's schedule, we have a you know, 10-game SEC schedule. We completed all 10 SEC games with a couple of, a, you know, a couple of rescheduled situations there. Obviously they, you know, moved Mizzou back and we moved Auburn back and, but we got our 10 games in. And that was something most people thought would be impossible. And now here we are getting ready to go play a ball game. So when it's all said and done, we're going to play 11 games this year. I've said on this show before, and I'll say it again, the fact that the SEC only had to cancel two games is remarkable. It shows the leadership we have in this conference and the fact that Greg Sankey saw, you know what, we might need a little wiggle room here in the schedule, so let's go ahead and put a couple of open dates in there just in case we have to move anybody for COVID-related issues. We hadn't had any of our guys go in hospital for COVID, and that was a big concern early on was transmission. What if somebody gets you know, a heart condition or whatever, and today we haven't heard any of that, not just at Mississippi State but around the country? Most of the absenteeism that's come to college football has been a result of contact tracing rather than positive testing. Yes, you've had some guys test positive, but I'm not aware of anybody on the Mississippi State roster that's gotten sick. Yes, some guys have tested positive, many of them asymptomatic, but there have been some obviously that have had a few symptoms. But you just haven't heard about it. And and the fact that we're here, and that's not to throw shade at anybody that was kind of critical of us playing this year, I just think it goes to show you if you take the necessary precautions and protocols, you can pull something like this off. Obviously, it was less than ideal to go to the University of Georgia with less than 50 scholarship players. But you know what? Mississippi State showed up and nearly won the football game. A week later, against the con- cacophony of the fan-based old Miss media, that were trying to suggest that we were trying to get out of play on the egg ball. We went up there and should have won the ball game. Right? We should have won the ball game. And I hate to put the saddle on Austin Williams, but, you know, if he gets in the end zone there, and, I, and I'm not going to knock a kid for hustling trying to make a play for his team. If he gets in the end zone there, it's a different day and time. The egg's still here. Now, you could also argue, too, that, you know, Ole Miss probably should have kicked a couple field goals that would have put the game away. They didn't. But we played the game. Despite the fact that many people said we're trying to get out of it. We went and played the game with less than 50 scholarship players and nearly won the game. And then we go play against the University of Missouri. We got a couple of guys back, we still weren't great. And we went and won the ball game. Probably played our most complete game of the year. And so we're trending in the right direction. And one of the things, and I asked Austin Williams a little bit about this. This is one of those things that I thought about yesterday, is look at how that huddle has changed over the course of the season. Sometimes it, when you take a moment, take a deep breath, and you look back in hindsight and you think, Holy smokes, how did we get here? Week one, we go to Baton Rouge, a game that many people thought we might be able to be competitive in, but, but probably thought we'd lose, including me. We go down there and we beat LSU handily, despite the fact that we had four turnovers. If we play clean, it's an absolute blowout in Baton Rouge. That game, go back and look at the stats. K.J. Costello sets an SEC single-game passing record in the game, not even with the team. Kylen Hill, we see him in a new role, and we see he's just as explosive as he was before. If anything, we're probably giving him more opportunities because they are able to get in the ball in space. No longer with the team. Osiris Mitchell had one of the biggest games of his career, and a lot of people thought, you know what, Osiris might play his way into the draft. He might end up coming back now. But when you begin to look around that roster and you look at that huddle, it's much different. Let's not forget the fact that Tyrell Shavers pulled down a touchdown pass on the road at LSU. He's no longer with the team. Jaden Wiley played a limited number of snaps against LSU. Now he's your featured wide receiver. Will Rogers missed the game to COVID, and now he's your starting quarterback. And you've got two freshman running backs behind him, and Dylan Johnson, Jaquavius Marks, that are uh, you know, having pretty good freshman campaigns, all things considered. You look at that offensive line, and we've got Cam Jones playing right tackle now. So we've mixed and matched a lot a bit this year, and then here we are now playing the best football of the year. There are a lot of teams out there that if they had lost their starting quarterback, who was a senior, a very accomplished senior. They lost their leading running back, who was a senior, an NFL prospect as well. They don't recover from that. But here we are with basically a trio of freshmen leading the way. And Jaden Wally, Jaquavius, Marks, I guess four, Will Rogers, Dylan Johnson. How did we get here? A lot of people have been critical of Mike Leach and his staff. You know, we basically gutted the roster halfway through the year. Had some guys opt out, had some guys transfer, and and, and it's interesting too. I mean, obviously Mississippi State is going to allow those people to say face. They're not going to put things out there that are detrimental to those kids. But you got a good coaching staff. It would have been real easy just to mail it in. It would have been easy to say, you know what, hey, you know what, let's just kind of, you know, we'll just go through the motions. And, hey, if you guys want to opt out on the season, let's just go ahead and do that. Many of our fans were advocating for that. Let's just opt out on the season. It's too bad. We can't be competitive with the kids we have. And now here we are getting ready to go play a ball game. We've got a good chance to win that thing. Should have won a ball game at 18. Should have won one at 19. We didn't. We've got a chance to end this year, this herky-jerky year, on a positive note, having won the last two ball games to kind of give us a springboard in the spring, which will be here before you know it. But how did you get here? I submit to you that a lesser coaching staff, and I submit to you some lesser young players, wouldn't have won another game. But we found a way to win a couple. Despite the fact that everybody around us said that our defense is going to be awful, I I had people that were attending practice and said, you know what, Steve, secondary is going to be unbelievably bad. And now we've got Martin Emerson receiving – all-American mentions. We've got Emmanuel Forbes on the freshman All-SEC team. You know, so where other people saw a challenge, these guys saw an opportunity. And they benefited. And listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we played to our full potential all year. We haven't. We haven't. But we have a chance to kind of end on a big crescendo, to use a musical term. got a chance to kind of finish up here winning our last game at home and then winning a bowl game. And now all of a sudden you think, okay, we're turning in the right direction. We went through, uh, you know, a roster makeover midway through the year, saw some guys that we were counting on to be real playmakers for us, leave the team through one form or another, either through injury or through opt-out or through dismissal. But we didn't quit. We didn't quit. Some of our fans quit on the team. But the Bulldogs didn't quit on themselves. Listen, speaking of not quitting, I know many of you guys uh, like to have a little skin in the game. You like to have, uh, you know, it's more than a rooting interest. I got some friends of mine, they bet on everything. It seems like every day. And they use my bookie. With bowl games coming up, with the NBA season now back into play, and then NFL playoffs are right around the corner, you've got an opportunity to cash in and save yourself. Go to my bookie and use promo code Boneyard. And they'll match your deposit up to $1,000 at 50%. So if you, if you want to say, you know what, Steve, I'm going to put a couple hundred bucks down, they'll give you another $100 to play with. Simple as that. My bookie is, uh, you know, it's fast payouts. These guys have been around a long time. They know what they're doing. They have promotional contests from time to time to kind of unlock some uh, opportunities for you. And uh, we'll have more on that later in the week. But go to my bookie and use promo code Boneyard. There's so much to think about. There's so many games that you can wager on if, that, if that's your thing. Turn this season into your winning season at my bookie, and again, that's promo code Boneyard. All right, today's top ten list. We're going back. We're gonna do. We're going We're going back to some rock and roll. We're going. I told you guys. I kind of teased the schedule because Roy and I are kind of getting ahead of the game here kind of picking and choosing what we want to do when, you, when your suggestions come in. I have mentioned on the show that I was going to do Ronnie James Dio, and I had about a half a dozen people said, Steve, absolutely. I can't wait to hear you talk about Dio. Listen, let me tell you guys this. Ronnie James Dio, and a lot of people say, well, Steve, I don't know who Ronnie James Dio is. Let me tell you, uh, he is the guy that uh, kind of invented the rock fingers. You know what I'm talking about, the, the double horns things that people call, you know. Uh, Ronnie did that first, Ronnie James Dio was probably about, what, 5'4", maybe, and had this incredibly booming operatic voice that was kind of unseen or unheard of for the time. He was an incredible singer. We lost him to cancer. But I tell you, when I go back now and I listen to those early Dio albums and Rainbow albums and Black Sabbath albums that Ronnie James Dio was on, the tunes still hold up. So here's my top 10 Dio songs some from each band so here's the top 10 list no honorable mentions today number 10 is the mob rules and uh, i i love that track and i'll tell you what's interesting about the mob rules is uh if you guys know mike portnoy mike portnoy not no relation to ben uh, i've teased him about that mike portnoy one of the best technical drummers in music today had a band called Adrenaline Mob, and the very first song they ever played at a live gig was "The Mob Rules," out of respect and tribute uh, to Ronnie James Dio. Number nine, another Dio track, "Stand Up and Shout." You, um, you've heard this. A lot of these songs you've heard, and you're like, "I don't, I don't know who sings that." It's Ronnie James Dio for you. Uh, the only Black Sabbath song on on this list is "Heaven and Hell." You know, a lot of people called that version of Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell, because of that song. So instead of calling it Black Sabbath, because a lot of people feel like, you know what, there has only been one Black Sabbath, and that's with Ozzy Osbourne as a singer, despite the fact there have been a handful of other singers that have sung for Sabbath. But uh, the Ronnie James Dio version, in many circles, is called Heaven and Hell. That's That song is the reason why. Number seven, uh, one of those Dio tracks, it kind of has that lead keyboard intro, it's Mystery. I think Ronnie's vocal performance on that is absolutely outstanding. Number six is Long Live Rock and Roll by Rainbow. Rainbow is kind of an underappreciated uh, band from the genre, you know, because I think a lot of people just, you know, in this country just weren't real familiar with them, especially here in the South. If you've seen the movie Rockstar, the one with uh, Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg, I-, I love the movie, I really do. You know, so when uh, when Mark comes in there to do uh, his tryout, there's there's some long haired singer and they're singing "Long Live Rock and Roll" from Rainbow. Miles Kennedy from Alter Bridge also in that movie a cameo late late in the movie when uh, Marky Mark's had enough and he hands the microphone to some kid in the crowd, that's Miles Kennedy. How about that? Uh, number five, another Dio track is "We Rock," and uh, if you have the Beast of Dio, which is their greatest hits album. This is what they open with. We rock. It's just one of those great. They used to open with a song and shows tremendous percussion on this. And uh, you know, Vinnie Apice, one of the uh, the brothers, the Apice brothers, he and Carmen, somebody like they played for everybody. Drummer on this album, uh, number four, "Rainbow in the Dark," and uh, that's one of those things too. That uh, that that song I think was on every. Every movie soundtrack in the 80s, it seemed. But Rainbow in the Dark, it's a great song. Some a lot of keyboards in that one, too. Number three, at times, this has been my favorite Ronnie James Dio song. It's the last in line. I guess because I kind of identify with the lyrics, and it's one of those things, too, where Ronnie is kind of given this uh, kind of a call to arms to people that are a little bit different. You know, it's like, you know, we're the last in line, but, uh, you know, we're we're going to have our turn. We're going to have our time, and we're not alone. There's an army of us out here that are marching to the beat of a different drummer. Number two, and I don't know how... this. Some people would say this is the best song that Ronnie James Dio ever had, and I disagree. But it is the best Dio song, and it's Holy Diver. It's been covered by everybody, it seems. I love Killswitch Engage's version of this, but Holy Diver... The video is great. The vocal performance is incredible. Uh, I think it's Ronnie's best vocal work with the band Dio. But the number one song on my list of Ronnie James Dio songs is Man on the Silver Mountain from Rainbow. I love the opening guitar riff on it. I have heard uh, there's probably maybe a dozen live versions of the song that are on YouTube, whether they be different versions of Dio doing it or the original Rainbow Uh, or even you know some of Ronnie's uh, tribute bands there are so many people that have done this and uh, it is so incredible if you are one of these casual rock fans or if you're even if you're a person that thinks you know what Steve I know rock really well if you've never heard Man on the Silver Mountain once you hear it you're going to think to yourself man where has this been my whole life how did I miss this Man on a Silver Mountain, that's the best song in the Ronnie James Dio catalog. Hope you enjoyed the list. On Wednesday, we're not doing metal. On Wednesday, we're going to do country. How about that? And uh, it's quite an interesting group of, uh, of artists that we're going to do this week. we we'll do Ronnie James Dio today. We're going to do a country music legend on Wednesday. And then we're going to go back to one of the greatest rock bands in the history of the world that has sold probably over 100 million records Worldwide on Friday. That's the plan. But there you go. Campus Bookmark, longtime sponsors of the show. Man, go check them out. Uh, Stan the man, Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. I believe everybody's back to work now. You know, that's the thing too. Is uh, I think Stan is always there. Like Any time that I'm in there, it's like Stan the man is there. Uh, he'll go by and say hello with you and, and visit and talk talk Bulldogs with you. And, and here's the thing: when baseball season starts, you can find Stan Ray out left field lounge. It's not just a job for him, it's a passion. He loves Mississippi State, and he loves providing you guys with the latest and greatest in Mississippi State uh, clothing and merchandise. Visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll save you a little money. That's promo code BSR, which stands for beautiful Steve Robertson. And that will get you free shipping on all orders over $50. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. And let's be honest. There were a lot of you that were banking on getting some stuff for Christmas you didn't get. Buy it for yourself. You may say, well, Steve, I've got to wait till payday. That's cool, too. Standing man's not going anywhere. But you need to treat yourself. You bought a bunch of stuff for everybody else, and what did they do? They got you a bunch of tube socks and some some long john underwear or whatever. You didn't get the cool stuff. Take it into your own hands. Take care of it yourself. Visit campusbookmart.net. Order yourself a gift today. All right, let's talk a little recruiting. Uh, Mississippi State offered a junior college offensive tackle, 6'6", 295-pound Matt Keeler today. Now, based on the information that I have, this is a guy that can enroll in January, and obviously Mississippi State's got to move quickly. Texas Tech has some real competition there, and he is from Chicago, though. He is from Chicago. He went to prep school for a year to try to improve his stock a little bit, didn't necessarily get what he wanted, then went to junior college and since this junior college season doesn't count for anybody he still has five years to play four so you were getting if you sign him you were getting a guy that is two years removed from high school so he is more physically and emotionally mature than a typical high school guy but you still have four years of eligibility to work with that's a win-win so state offers him but here's the deal he's on the clock Okay, so this isn't something that's going to linger on and just kind of drag on or whatever. Because he is an early enrollment guy, he's got to make a call here pretty quick. We had discussed the possibility of six offensive linemen in this class, and then we go through this whole thing. Well, you know, we got to get this guy, we got to get that guy, and then all of a sudden we have some uh, more emerging needs at defensive back. And then we see Jadarius Perkins, uh, you know, I don't know what that kid's deal is, to be honest with you. It's like he goes from you know telling everybody he's going to Mississippi State, and then when it came down to pull the trigger and sign the papers, uh, he didn't do it. And so he'll be going elsewhere for college. And so since there has been some ebb and flow with all of that, that has kind of opened up a spot here for, uh, for Keeler. But uh, listen, this is not something that's going to be able to kind of drag on. I mean, it's, it's going to be January 1st, here before you know it i mean it's december 28th right now and then you got to start making plans and preparations to uh to get moved here and get enrolled and signed up for classes and so he is on the clock i do believe this is something that will happen sooner rather than later if he is going to be a bulldog i believe it's going to happen this week i know he talked to paul jones earlier and said well i'm thinking about you know kind of making a decision next week i don't know that mississippi state waits too terribly long i think we've got to have an answer pretty quick and then we'll kind of move on from here so if you see a new name pop up and a new commitment, it is Matt Keeler, and he is a 2021 guy that'll be here in January. That also would put Mississippi State with six offensive line signees in the class, and five of them able to enroll in January. That is quite the luxury right there. That will be big time for Mississippi State. Now let's talk C.J. Johnson. I had a chance to speak to him over the weekend. A lot of people are kind of concerned about him. What's going on? Why would he wait? So I spoke to C.J., and I'm like, hey, just kind of tell me, take me through your thought process here. You, know, you grew up a Mississippi State guy. You get the Mississippi State offer, and then you've elected to kind of wait in February. And so what he tells me is that it all happened kind of in a rush. Like this is a guy, when he committed to the Naval Academy, he had every intentions of going to the Naval Academy. It's like, hey, this is a great opportunity. I'll go here, get my education, uh, do my service, and then, uh, you know, go, into, go into, you know, into medical practice or whatever. And so then all of a sudden, in late November, he starts getting all these new offers. So late November, early December, he gets, oh, I guess nine or ten new offers, many of them from the Power Five. So it's been a little bit overwhelming for him. So rather than rush the decision, he said, you know what? I still have the opportunity to wait until February, and there is no harm in doing so. Because remember, this is a guy, too, that made a commitment with the expectation of following through. He made that commitment with his whole heart. And then all of a sudden, some other options have come up, and so now he's having to reconsider things. You know, Florida State offers, Ole Miss offers, State offers, Penn State's offered, Northwestern's offered, Iowa's offered, Syracuse, many, many others. And so his head's spinning a little bit. And so rather than just kind of rush the process here, he owes it to himself himself. And thankfully, he has the means to get out and go take some trips. He plans to go take some campus visits. Now, of course, he can't take official visits. He can't go meet with coaches and watch film and have those those kind of hand-to-hand meetings that you ordinarily would have. But he is going to get out and go on the road and go tour the college towns and have an opportunity to go see the campus and just kind of get a feel for things. And he wants to enjoy that experience with his family. And I don't fault the kid for that. Now, if I had to call it today, I still believe he'll be a Mississippi State Bulldog. He tells me. When he first started playing football at seven or eight years of age, he wore number 14 out of tribute to Chris Ralph, because Chris Ralph is his favorite Bulldog. This is a guy that uh, both of his parents went to Mississippi State. He's grown up going to games at Mississippi State. and It has been his dream to play at Mississippi State. And so some would say, well, Steve, if that's the case, why didn't he go ahead and make the call? Well, I think it's one of those situations he never fully expected to be in this situation he is with the options that he has. And so he's going to go see what's out there and then do his due diligence and then make the decision. But if I had to call it today, I expect him to be a bulldog. I think in the end, you know, there are some people that say, well, this is just you know, in his heart. I do think Mississippi State is in his heart. I do. I think he also is a mature young man that uh, made a near-perfect score on the ACT, and he owes it to himself to explore all of his academic and athletic pursuits before he makes a decision. But I think that's probably going to work out. Now, speaking of that, I also spoke with Ty Cooper. We have talked about Ty Cooper on this show now for seven months, it seems. Ty Cooper, the best defensive line prospect in the state of Mississippi for the 2021 class. I know it has been a bit frustrating at times for many of our fans because you think, this kid's in Louisville High School, it's 30 minutes down the road. Why are we having such a time with him? Well, I guess the question that I would ask is, why do we always have such a time with kids in Louisville High School? And it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, to be fair, you know, granted, South Panola is not what it once was. But, listen, when South Panola was rolling, Ole Miss had a pipeline over there. I mean, yeah, we got Derek Pegues out of there. But, by and large, they got who they wanted. And now Louisville is producing prospects. And some of those we haven't offered. But uh, I, I get inundated every spring with all these, you know, fans, Louisville Wildcat fans say, hey, you need to look at this kid, you need to get this kid. And I've had probably 100 kids over the years from so Louisville High School come to my combines. But here we are again in a battle for a Louisville High School kid. And so, you know, we, Charles Moore was a long-time commitment to Mississippi State. You know, he flips, ends up going to Auburn, uh, leaves Auburn, then signs on with Oregon State, doesn't last there. Now he's headed to Marshall. My hope is that Charles figures it out. You know, we signed Dante Jones. He ends up going to prep school and then gets here and kind of gets caught in the in the grind of the uh, coaching change. You know, he comes here, We you know – He's overweight when he gets here. He put on a ton of weight and even played some defensive line there at Jehovah Jireh Prep. Then he comes in, and then you want to make him a tight end, and then he has to lose some weight, and then all of a sudden we change the scheme. We're not using tight ends. He's got Trump even more and go out to outside receiver. And so it just hadn't worked out. So he's in the portal too. But he's also a guy too that's done the best he could. But, uh, again, every, it seems that every time that we have a recruit at Louisville High School, there's always a circus. and I don't know why that is. You know, Denias Timms was one that a lot of people just felt like, oh, he's going to go to Ole Miss. There's no doubt about it. I had some Ole Miss people talking trash and messaging me and saying, there's no doubt that this kid's going to go to Ole Miss. Well, he didn't. He didn't. He went to Mississippi State, and he didn't, it didn't last but a couple of years, but uh, he went to Mississippi State. But I, I can't explain it. And, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to be critical of anybody, but it, it's just it's frustrating to me. You know that we have a school that just won a state championship we have a school that regularly produces division one prospects and that every time we get involved down there there's an issue now i'm not going to sit here and indict ty cooper for all of that because i don't believe that's the case i don't think ty cooper is trying to draw attention to himself some people suggest otherwise i don't believe that i think ty cooper number one hoped to be in this position but probably never expected to be in this position now i think it's important to understand too he's got a couple of friends and teammates that are at Ole miss and they're up there having a big time some of them are playing some of them you know aren't playing quite as much but they're up there having a good time you know we don't really have anybody at mississippi state that's our man on the inside of his camp saying hey you got to come up here and so state's having to kind of preach the uh the bulldog defensive line legacy and Ty Cooper did go to that Jeff Simmons camp, and Montez Sweat and those guys were there. So he has seen it. Now, if you look at, you know, Ole Miss's uh, defensive line production here in the last several years, it hadn't been very good. You know, Robert Kimdichie, of course, is drafted. He's out of the league, you know, and uh, is considered one of the biggest busts of the last decade. He was the number one player in the country coming out of high school. Went to Ole Miss and had a pretty pedestrian career. And I know some of our self-loathing Mississippi State fans that want to uh, want to impress their Ole Miss friends say, oh, you know, we had a great career. No, he didn't. He had a very pedestrian career at Ole Miss. And, yeah, well, he had a second Egg Bowl. Yeah, that's true. And there's a couple of games, I guess, against Memphis and others, he had zero tackles. And so if you look at that, you can be Benito Jones or you could be Chris Jones. You can go to Ole Miss where they have shown – that they can't produce or develop defensive linemen, no matter who the coaching staff is. Or you can go to Mississippi State, it's shown that there's a fraternity there that you can be a part of, that they've been able to produce and develop NFL prospects on a defensive line for years. It's as simple as that. And so you would say, well, Steve, why didn't he do that? I think there's a lot of personal relationships involved in this one. I also think that Ty Cooper – Uh, is probably handling things the best that he can. There are a lot of people in his life that would love for him to go to Mississippi State. They're not pushing him to do anything because of their wishes. There are some other people in his life that would love for him to go to Ole Miss. They're not pushing him to do that either because they want him to make his own decision. But he still is in the middle of all of that. He has state people on one side, Ole Miss people on the other. He is going to disappoint someone he cares about no matter what he picks. That's a lot of pressure for a young person. It really is. And sometimes we forget that. We look at all this through the lens of adulthood sometimes, and we think, well, you know, if this for me, it would be an easy decision to make. You know, here's, I'll tell you this, too. You know, I had a kid that played college baseball. And if he had been given the opportunity to be a Mississippi State Bulldog, it wouldn't have mattered who else would have offered. LSU, Florida, they could have offered 100% scholarships, and uh, he would have come to Mississippi State for books. It's as simple as that. But not everybody is raised that way. That's not to say one's better or worse than the other. But there are a lot of people out there that don't grow up with the same affection and passion for Mississippi State that maybe our kids do. You know, i got, I got two girls, and uh, my oldest one, all she ever wanted to be was an LSU Golden Girl. And I thought of all my kids, she would be the least likely to go to Mississippi State. In fact, she had uh, pretty much made up her mind she was going to head down to Southern Miss. We were fine with that. And then one day she came home and said, you know what? I think God wants me at Mississippi State. I agree. Let's go make that happen. And now that she's a bulldog, she can't imagine being anything else. But I didn't push her to go make her decision. She chose Mississippi State of her own volition. And so my children got to pick their own school and didn't have to do all of that with media attention. You know, they got to kind of privately work through this and work through their thoughts with their friends, and they got to go take visits on the campuses, and they didn't have to do an interview with the media after the visit. They just got to go pick a school, and it was still very difficult. It was very difficult. And so I can only begin to imagine what it's like for these young men that are in between two factions of people that they care about, they're pushing them in other directions and then they have to choose their words very carefully on the record because no matter what they say or do people are going to misconstrue what they say and I'll give you a prime example of that I interviewed Ty Cooper yesterday and he made a comment that he was going to wait and see who Ole Miss hired to replace Deke Adams before he made any decisions now people took that comment and they ran with it matter of fact I got phone calls about it and people are like well Steve I don't understand I don't understand why he is uh, – you know, why is he waiting? Does he prefer Ole Miss? Well, I think he's just – he's got all the way to February to decide. And so, if Mississippi State and Ole Miss are his two favorites before he picks State, shouldn't he wait to see what else, what Ole Miss is going to do? People say, well, Steve, if he really wanted to be here, wouldn't it, why would that matter? Well, let me, let me tell you this. Here's the rest of that comment that nobody seems to really want to talk about. So I'm going to read it to you in its entirety. I guess you can read the full interview over at uh, jeanspage.com. It is VIP, so it means you've got to be remembered to read it in its entirety. But here, here is what he says. I asked him specifically about how State and Ole Miss have been recruiting them and his relationships with both schools. They are both doing a great job recruiting me, Cooper said. They're both pretty good in-state programs. They are two great schools. Me and Coach Adams have a really good relationship. I'm waiting to see who they hire to replace him right now before I make any decisions. And then a lot of people stop right there because that's what fits our narrative. Well, here's the rest of it. It does hurt a lot because I talk to the position coach a lot. We built a relationship. When he moved on, I no longer had the same relationship with the school because the coach left. I don't understand why the first part of that is more important than the second part. And so I think we need to give Ty Cooper some room to breathe and let him figure things out. And I'm going to remind you guys of this, too. I don't know if you guys remember this. Those of you that were around in, when I first started covering recruiting, you know, one of the most wildest stories that I remember from the early days of uh, covering recruiting was Kyle Love. Kyle Love is true maroon, man. But that wasn't always the case. When Kyle Love was getting ready to make his college decision, he wanted to go to Memphis because one of his best friends was going to Memphis. And his dad basically put his foot down and says, no, you're going to Mississippi State to play for Sylvester Croom. And legend has it that Kyle Love even signed the paperwork to come to Mississippi State with tears in his eyes. And Kyle Love still played in the National Football League. I don't know if he played much this year, but uh, you know, Kyle Love, Sylvester Croom told me on signing day, Kyle Love is exactly the kind of player that we want in the trench. I want all my linemen and D-linemen to be like him. And Kyle Love and then Sylvester Krum develops him over time, and then he's in the National Football League. And it's played a lot of snaps and made a lot of money. And so there are a lot of people that say, well, I only want people that, that want to be here. And you know what? Sometimes it takes longer to convince those guys that this is where their best opportunity is. And you just got to be patient. Melvin Smith once told me one time, when you're, when, you're, when you're coaching and recruiting at a place like Mississippi State and Ole Miss, that you spend half your time convincing people that never considered Mississippi State or Ole Miss as a recruiting option, that that's the best place for them. Because do you think when we go into Atlanta and we go offer a kid and we say, hey, Mississippi State's offered you a scholarship, do you think that kid grew up dreaming of playing at Mississippi State? No, he wanted to go to the University of Georgia. Do you think when we go into Jacksonville and offer a kid and say, hey, I want you to be a bulldog, that they're thinking, you know what, this is the best thing in the world, let me go ahead and jump on this right now. No, nah, they're waiting on Florida State and Florida. And so you've got to work through that process. And, yeah, it's a little different when you're dealing with a kid 30 miles up the road. I mean, it really is. But that's part of the recruiting process. It's never easy. And it's never going to be easy to recruit kids to Mississippi State. It's just not. Now, Mike Leach gets this thing rolling, you upset some people, you're in big games, you go into big-time bowl games, it's going to be a lot easier. But right now, you don't have a lot to sell. And so that's Mike Leach, you got to take care of that part of it. There's no doubt about it. you got to take care of that part of it. So that's your recruiting update for today. I'll have more for you on Wednesday remind you guys too if you're looking to relocate within Starkville or make the move to Starkville give our friends at Portico a chance to uh, to work with you on that as you guys know Mississippi State Diamond Dog Brooks Bryan is part of that project he's one of the developers if you know Brooks Brooks is true maroon and I try to do business with Bulldogs whenever I can sometimes I even pay a little bit more just because I want to keep it in the family but Portico it's located just off Garrett Road behind the Hilton Garden end in the Cryford Jeep dealership. It's just over a mile from campus. Easy access to both highway 82 and 25. It's not going to be a huge complex, but it's going to be a big one where you're going to have neighbors. Your kids are going to have an opportunity to get to know other kids in the neighborhood. 51 houses total in the development with 18 houses already in the first phase nearing completion. 33 other houses will begin in construction next year. Houses will range from 1,300 to 2,000 square feet Two-bedroom, two-bath, up to four-bedroom, four-bath. Portico includes a walking trail and a pavilion area. So you can get out and do a little exercising. You can, uh, you know, get out and have some fun, you know, with the family. And so if you're looking for more information, and you darn well should be, you can contact Brooks Bryan at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. I would be remiss if I concluded today's show without talking about Harper Davis. I had an opportunity to interview Harper Davis for uh, the Alpha Dogs book, and uh, it took some doing. It really did. I had somebody contact me on Gene's page and said, you know what, Steve, I go to church with Coach Davis, and, uh, you know, he'd be a great interview for you. And to be honest with you, I wasn't sure that Harper Davis was even still living when they contacted me, and I thought, oh, this is great. Yeah, I got to get him on the phone. He was 94 years of age when I interviewed him. And so I called him one day, and I said, hey, Coach, this is Steve Robertson. I'm the writer, and uh, I'd love to be able to interview you and tell your Mississippi State story. And uh, I said, would would today or tomorrow be more convenient for you? He said, well, neither, because I'm about to actually get in the car and leave. This is back, you know, when the quarantine first began back in March. And and so I didn't know when he said, I don't know when I'll be back. And I didn't either. But I called a couple times and never could get him. And it uh, turn, turns out that Brad Jones, former Diamond Dog, Brad Jones, former first baseman, wore 23 for us. Brad is the grandson of Art Davis, who is Harper's brother. So Brad went to work for me and got me a phone number to get a hold of Coach Davis. And so I called and I speak to Harper Davis, and uh, he was in Alabama at the time the uh the, due to his advanced age the family had uh, wanted him to be a little closer to family so he wouldn't be kind of getting out doing his own shopping. and with his advanced age they were a little bit worried about the virus and he and and they certainly should have been but i got him on the phone and we talked and um it didn't take long before harper davis talked to me like a friend because i think he recognized that we both shared a similar passion for Mississippi State. You know, we talk about all the time how it really is a family. And I think, you know, he, he spent the first few minutes interviewing me. Well, Steve, how did you become a bulldog? What what, what made you, you know, choose Mississippi State? Did you come from a Mississippi State family? What would your dad do for a living? And so we talked for a while, just as friends, just kind of probing each other out. And then all of a sudden he goes, all right, well, what did you want to ask me? And so we talked at length about his remarkable story and all the things that he did as a player at Mississippi State, the one-on-one of Alan McKean's best teams. He played with some great players, and he was part of some great wins and some great moments at Mississippi State. And that's the thing that, um, you know, kind of gives me chills sometimes when I think about the position that I'm in, that I have access to some of our great players, and that I'm able to share their stories with all of you. And that is a responsibility that I take very, very seriously. And I get Harper on the phone, and we talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And he talked about how, you know, that he met his wife and that uh, all her and all her sisters all married Mississippi State men. They were all Mississippi State families. And, and what it meant to him to be a Bulldog, that even in his 90s, that he still had the same passion for Mississippi State that he had as a young man when he got the phone call from Alan McKean World War II had just ended, and State and Ole Miss were both recruiting Harper Davis to come play for them. Harper Davis had attended one college football game as a young man. He played for Clarksdale High School. They had come over and played West Point. And I guess that was a long journey back in those days, but they made a school trip out of it, and so they spent the night and then went and watched Mississippi State play the next day. And that day, Blondie Black ran all over the competition and won a big ball game for Mississippi State. Harper Davis said he told himself then, if I ever got the chance to go to Mississippi State, I was going to go because I wanted to be like Blondie Black. He recognized what a great player Blondie was and he earned his respect. Harper eventually enrolled at Mississippi State after playing for Coach John Vaught, of all people, at the air base in Corpus Christi, Texas. He came and played at Mississippi State. And eventually, after he finished up at Mississippi State, he and Blondie Black got to be friends. They played golf together several times, all by being part of the Mississippi State football fraternity. It's one of those things, man, that um, you know, sometimes you look at all this and you begin to realize that it's something bigger than just a football game. You know, it's bigger than just going to a class. You know, it's bigger than just buying a T-shirt. You know what I'm saying? There's something bigger here that we're a part of. And I think part of that is honoring people like Harper Davis. He was one of the greatest players to ever wear the Mississippi State uniform. Ever. He played a couple years professional football. And, you know, I believe he was paid, what, $8,000 a year by the Chicago Bears. Went played the L.A. Dons for a while, the AFL. I mean, you know, and then he came home. And he was an assistant coach at Mississippi State before taking a job at Millsaps and coaching there for 25 years. I mean, Harper Davis is an institution in the state of Mississippi. He's a great high school player, a great college player, played professionally and came back and shared his knowledge with young people forever. And then even after he retired, he went to work as a, basically a, you know, a a volunteer assistant coach with private schools, J.A., you know, coach at MRA. I mean, it's, I begin to think, you know, we haven't done enough. We haven't done enough to honor Harper Davis. And uh, it's one of those things that I look back, and I'm so incredibly grateful that I was able to spend some time with him before he died and to be able to, uh, to document his Mississippi State story. And I don't say any of that to praise me in any way. I say it to make us kind of fully appreciate that some of our great players are dying off and many of them are already long gone and their stories are gone with them. And so I'm going to write more books. I'm going to write more Mississippi State books because I think it's important that we document our story before these people are gone and their stories are gone with them. So, Harper, wherever you are today, and, and I know you're in heaven, but uh, my hope is is that uh, you'll pin in a good word for the Bulldogs with the folks that matter up there, you know, and I hope you rest in peace. And I want to thank you for all your contributions, not just to Mississippi State football, but to football in the state of Mississippi. Folks, it's going to do it for today. We'll have you a show early on Wednesday. I'll probably record Tuesday night because Wednesday is a travel day for me. But... Um, So we'll probably go ahead and get that done. We'll kind of get a full look at Tulsa and kind of look ahead to to what the Bulldogs should expect on Thursday. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.